Welcome to Aetherius Radio Live, the Hour of Truth with Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaze. Welcome to Aetherius Radio Live on Body, Mind, Spirit Radio, brought to you on the third Tuesday monthly from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 to 7 p.m. UK Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time. Today, Aetherius Radio Live is hosted by Richard Lawrence and his guest is Brian Kniep, author of Operation Earthlight, A Glimpse into the World of the Ascended Masters. Be prepared for another amazing show covering fascinating topics such as karma, UFOs, the Mother Earth, the New World, the Next Master and much, much more. They invite you to discover the cosmic message for this age revealed through the legendary Master of Yoga and world-renowned medium Dr. George King between 1954 and 1997. Today's show is Primary Terrestrial Mental Channel Lightning Channel for the Gods. So without further ado, I give you your host, Richard Lawrence, and his guest, Brian Kniep. Thank you, Nikki. And welcome to you, Brian. Thank you for having me, Richard, and thank you, Nikki. It's great to have you back on. And may I just uh, correct that title slightly? It's Primary Terrestrial Mental Channel, Lightning Conductor for the Gods. And, um, of course, that's uh, a phrase which summarizes his completely unique role. And we've picked this time for this particular program because it's just a few days after the anniversary of what we call the command. That's when he had his first contact, his first um, beginning if you like his mission began his commission shall we say from the master Ethereus and was given then his task a very very important date indeed as you say so we're going to be talking about that but if you if I could Brian just and there's no one really more qualified to to discuss this with me than Brian because Brian is has been the custodian of the mental transmissions that Dr. King received, hundreds of them indeed, between 1987 and 1997, the last 10 years of Dr. King's life, and was very, very close to Dr. King and throughout that period, and is also very conversant with the cosmic transmission. So this is going to be a real pleasure for me, and I hope for our listeners. But Brian, if you bear with me, I'd like to just read a very nice message we received after our last show, which was about Mars Sector 6. It was called Mars Sector 6, Lord of All He Surveys. And I was joined on that occasion by Mark Bennett, a co-author of two of the books that uh, I wrote. And this was the message from from the listener. She said this, I had a very spiritual experience upon listening to your recorded radio show in April about Mars Sector 6. There were three speakers talking and the power... Actually, there were two. I think that should be a two. There were two speakers talking and the power and essence of Mars Sector 6 came through my device here at home and my cats marched single file into my room and came and semicircled my device on my iPhone and my one by one came up to it and sniffed it and sat in a partial standing position at attention for the speakers about Mars Sector 6. She says, and this is an American listener, she says, they came to pay their respects to the Ethereum Society and Mars Sector 6 and the lovely speakers whose voices were captivating. I don't know about that bit. And miraculously, a friend in the next room seemed to go in a state of trance till after the radio show had ended and came out of the trance-like state in a deep, respectful, spiritual state. There is no doubt in my mind about Mars Sector 6. Quite so an that's experience. a listener who, yeah, and she's not a member of the Ethereum Society. She's a very charitable lady, I believe, who happened to listen. So thanks to her, won't give her name because I don't have her permission. But um, that's an interesting little message, Brian. Very interesting. <laughs> 
anyway, so now we're moving on to um, Dr. George King. Lightning conductor for the gods is, is just a, a description and hopefully an accurate one. And uh, interestingly enough, of course, the ancient gods of, of Greece, um, they, they were regarded as emitting a lightning and thunder from Mount Olympus and so on. So uh, Dr. King, though, I think one point we need to make, Brian, early on is he never claimed to be the only person who ever received messages from other planets, did he? No, that's an important point because um, some people get the idea that, um, you know, we in the Ethereum Society uh, are saying that, um, you know, we're the only ones uh, doing good work on Earth. And, of course, this is so far from the truth. I mean, there's there's many, many good organizations doing tremendous work and many other um, people bringing people through. Um, and, mm-hmm. and our master never said that he was the only person who would bring through beings from other worlds. Um, however, he also said um, it would, would be extremely few who could do that. He did. He did. And, of course, he was designated primary terrestrial mental channel. And so he was, if you like, the first channel. And sometimes he would receive a communication uh, Brian, wouldn't he, when he would say that there were one or perhaps two others also receiving the same communication, but they would not be giving it out in public. That's, that's correct. That, that, I think that's mm. a very key point, too. Um, yeah. You know, the country masters, they, they, they don't want to have a lot of confusion. Um, no. And if you have you know, lots of messages going through different people, you can get confusion. And I think that's one reason why they designated uh, our master, uh, Dr. King, as being primary terrestrial mental channel. And also, as we get into this this uh, conversation today, I think people will find out um, one of the, some of the reasons why he was the primary uh, in those days. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And it was the the, the period, of course, was 43 years because. From May the 8th, 1954, when he received the command, which was the voice, an audible voice of the Master Etherius saying, prepare yourself, you are to become the voice of interplanetary parliament. It was, a, it was a communication he didn't understand at all when he first got it, and he didn't know who had delivered it when he first got it, and this was all revealed over the weeks to come. Uh, but from then until July of 1997, July the 12th, he was in contact, and I, I think I'm right in saying, uh, Brian, that he was receiving mental transmissions within week, day, well, weeks, if not days, of his passing on July the 12th in 1997. That's correct. No, he, he did, yes. Uh, and some of them, um, probably the a week or two before, there, there weren't many, um, if any, but mm. up until, say, uh, the month before, he had some um, pretty important mm. ones come through. Yeah. So that that's 43 years, over 43 years of, of consistent communications and extremely regular communications. And, I mean, in the early days, he could, uh, as we're going to talk about, get two minutes' notice and he'd have to receive a transmission. He could receive several a day. And then in the period uh, where you were involved with him, Brian, and he was getting mental transmissions, he could get several a day then sometimes, couldn't he? That's true. And I think it's important to to, um, point out that these transmissions um, weren't messages solely. They, um, no. especially in, in the, the last, uh, say, I could you say almost say 20 years, uh, the messages mm. tended more to be around action and around missions that were mm-hmm. actively trying to help the world. It's not just um, messages of what what we should do or how we should think or all these things. Um, it, it was it was action, essential action that was being um, uh, taken by the great ones, the, the cosmic masters, and um, the Ethereum Society uh, helping the, the great ones perform essential tasks um, that were necessary for our world uh, today. Indeed, and, and they would give, a, as you rightly say, as an, an action-focused and sometimes extremely specific communication in the last 20 or more years. And then they might throw in a pearl, some great quote, mm. a wonderful piece of an aphorism as well, mm. but it was mainly mm. focused on, on the work by that stage, the mission in hand, 
but in the very early days, we have these wonderful transmissions. But the, the contention uh, I would like go, to I make... To say, what, mm. One quote that I wanted to just reminded me of when you were saying that was a great quote mm. they said early on was, they bring a new language to earth, the language of direct yes. action. I love that. I love yeah, that quote, the language of direct action, yes. And that was after a meeting in Shambhala, wasn't it, that that was introduced mm -hmm. and revealed by the Master Theorists. Very true. But you know, I was going to make the contention, I think we both are actually, Brian, that he was the greatest medium the world has ever seen. So although we're not saying he's the only one, not at all, um, there is no one to compare with him, uh, both in his the, the content of the messages or the communications, shall we say, that he received, but also in the method that he used. So I'd quite like to start off by exploring the method that he used, Brian, uh, which is so unique, is it not? Um, it is. And now, so different just, just from, make, from other mediums. I just want to make one, one point there. Is he, he, he never said... Um, that he was the greatest master to come. And I want to make sure no. that people understand that he, he never said that, and we don't say that. Um, but uh, because of the job that he was asked to do and the time he was asked to do it, um, he uh, he was the greatest uh, medium um, to come because uh, mm -hmm. the, his job required that. Indeed. And, of course, it was said, was it not, by St. Guling that the, the adept, were the greatest masters ever to come uh, to earth uh, that, but we, that we've discussed in a separate Ethereum Radio Live but he was very humble as you rightly say and extremely modest and was, <laughs> it was like he was always hoping that somebody else would be doing this what he, as well and then he was, right. was quite disappointed and you can hear this in some of the early lectures he gave his disappointment when he realised the sort of the level of some of the sadly deluded claims that are out there. Uh, and one mm. thing I would like to say, I mean, I, I'm, I do, uh, and this isn't, I sh not even in the same breath as what Dr. King did, but I do a form of basic mediumship, as do hundreds of thousands of others around the world. And indeed, this month in Psychic News, for example, there's, there's an example of, of, of my mediumship. But that's a very, very basic thing, and I don't think even comparable. I, it's almost to me as though the word medium is not appropriate for what Dr. King does because he's taken it to another kind of a level because he wasn't just sort of the average medium will receive impressions uh, or, uh, and then sort of give their own feedback so you get a bit of the medium and a bit of the impression and you, you do your best with it, it won't be that accurate. If they're really good, they might get detailed thoughts or detailed words and they might use clairaudience to get those words. But Dot King isn't even doing that. What he's doing is receiving a beam. And, and, and would you like to describe for us uh, Brian, exactly what, Brian, uh, what, what Dr. King did when he received a cosmic transmission. I'll do better than that. I'll, I'll read uh, from Dr. King's words in, in himself Great. Uh, in a lecture that he gave uh, back in, uh, in November uh, 1963, uh, where he spoke about, uh, in this case, a particular kind of uh, a trance uh, and a message, which was a special power transmission. Um, but this is um, what he did, and I'll read that here. Mm hmm now, in this condition, the trance is brought on, and then a beam is tuned into. Now, this beam looks about the size of, well, it varies between the size of a half-dollar piece. In England, it would be about a two-and-six-penny pence, or two-and-six-penny piece, to something about the size of a dollar piece, which is a little bit larger. It varies between that, and inside this beam appears to be a bright, bluish, pinkish light, and it is that which I have to concentrate on for however long the trance condition lasts. If I lose that, I lose the whole communication, and the whole thing would just be jumbled as far as a report is concerned. So that's uh, one basic... That's fascinating, um, isn't it? It's very, very different from um, uh, any transmission uh, medium state that I've ever heard of. I've never heard of any medium describing that concept of receiving a beam uh, on a particular chakra. 
Um, and it, it's, it's above even thought, it's above even what, you know, clairaudience or telepathy or psychic ability. It's a pure energy reception in the highest of yogic conditions. And I think that's another point perhaps to make, which is that in order to receive a cosmic transmission, Dr. King entered somadic trance. Now, now he warned against using trance for most people in mediumship because he said mostly mediums will blank out their minds and enter a negative trance. And he said that, I think I'm right in saying, is, is it's safer, I think he said, to pitch a tent on the freeway than to enter that kind of trance because well, of the right. tremendous dangers, you know, of possession yeah. and so on. And, and, you, well, and, you could and end of course, up a, the reason for that is because the, 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 the state of the evolution of mankind is you have, you have lots yeah. of people that uh, don't have the world's best interest at heart on the other realms who would just right, so. latch on to that and, and do things that they, they shouldn't do. Indeed. So most mediums, I, I would say, would be safer not using trance at all. But if you were able, as he was, and very, very few people on this earth are able to do this honestly and genuinely, to enter a somatic trance condition, then of course you are in complete control of the condition and you've induced it yourself and in, as he's described it, you've raised the kundalini and lodged it in a certain chakra. Don't think he ever revealed which one. And then he receives these beams, as Brian has described. And this is a, a, a completely unique condition. And do you have more to tell us about that Well, yes, state? it gets, and, it gets and, more and, interesting. Yeah. Um, mm. uh, that was one beam, but then he goes on. And he says, but this is what complicates it a bit. There's more than one beam existing at the same time. When there is a fluctuation between, for instance, Mars Sector 6 and, a, and another operator, I have to move quickly between a beam which seems to have a physical position about six inches in front of the head to one that might have a physical position of, say, a yard, probably two feet, I mean, to the side of the head. So it's an immediate switch of consciousness from one to the other. Such a switch could not be done by the conscious mind, so it is uh, affected or brought about more by the superconsciousness. Mm. And so that makes it even, you know, it's not just one it's beam. Amazing. You have to be aware of sometimes several beams and switch your mind instantaneously to the one which is, is then uh, active, uh, which he says would be impossible by the, for the conscious mind to do that. Yeah, and I, and I can believe that because you couldn't work out consciously where to put your your mind. But if you, but obviously, if if you like to, if one would want to use the term high intuition or the superconscious, will direct you there without having to work anything out. You will know where to go. Hence, he needed to be in that state. But that Brian would suggest that there are several communicators c uh, communicating with him in certain transmissions, possibly simultaneously. Possibly that's correct. That's correct. Which, again, is, is something which, you know, you just don't hear of um, in, uh, in other mediums. It's just, it's, uh, it's a whole no, different no. situation. There's an overlap. And those of us who've been fortunate enough to hear some of these transmissions uh, have actually heard voices overlapping each other. <laughs> I know. It's... it's it's hard to even work out how he was able to do it um, uh, at all, uh, let alone as as nearly mm. perfectly as he was able to. Yeah, and and you've reminded me actually of of perhaps the greatest transmission ever delivered, describing the greatest event which we've discussed before in a serious radio live, namely the initiation of Earth. Uh, since the inception of the planet, which was uh, including a power transmission, more than one actually, and the overlapping of voices. And during that greatest of, uh, of events, uh, his mediumship as primary terrestrial mental channel was described as pluperfect. That's right. Yeah. So he doesn't get any better or greater. I think game, set and match, really, I don't think anyone can dispute uh, the 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 fact that he's the greatest medium 
who's ever walked this earth, as you rightly say, not something he would say. What he did used to do, though, was claim to have a record, didn't he? A record number of, of transmissions, cosmic transmissions. That's right. Yes. Yep. Do, over do we know that figure? Over 600. But over 600 uh, cosmic transmissions mm. he received. And, and that's um, that's just counting the somatic trance uh, conditions, not counting the... Indeed. Uh, uh, you probably would at least double that uh, if you in- included the yeah. uh, mental transmissions. But he, he only there could, could even be thousands of those. I don't know. Oh, yes. You know better than yeah. me. But, yeah. well, you know. well, even I wouldn't know because they weren't all recorded. No, no. So uh, so that's the one condition, then, the cosmic transmission condition. And the other condition that he used is the mental transmission condition. Did, did you want to say something about that? How sure. He did that? Uh, the mental the mental transmission was um, uh, well. He used it for, um, shall we say, less important uh, messages uh, in the uh, earlier days, where it might just be an information where he was supposed to go somewhere or or do something or um, kind of more of a you know just communication like that. Um, and then later on, um, say into the um, uh, mid '80s, uh, he his health wasn't able to bring on the somatic trance condition uh, mm-hmm. as um, as he was able to before. And so then the uh, the primary means would be from the uh, mental transmission, although he would on the important mental transmissions he would have them recorded. Uh, and he would take great pains to make sure they were accurate. For example, he would um, repeat um, what had transpired and, and made sure that it was verified by the communicator. So he would make sure that he had it absolutely correct, because he was always very, very um, conscientious about uh, the, the accuracy of what he would bring through, because mm. he knew how important it was. Um, but Do you ever remember on that note... Sorry, mm-hmm. I was just going to say, I've often wondered, because you were there more than anybody in that period, do you, do you remember any occasion where he, he read it back and, and they said, well, no, <laughs> that wasn't accurate? Or they corrected no, him? No, um, no, no. Uh, there would often be kind of a, a joke there, because he would always mm-hmm. apologize to them uh, for having mm-hmm. them to sit there <laughs> while he read, yes. while he played over this uh, yeah. this tape. But yeah. no, I can't recall them ever saying, nope, that's wrong. No. Mm. Yeah. And so it just goes to show his... But I interrupted you, Brian. You were in full flow there. I just thought I'd ask you that. <laughs> well, I was going to say that um, the way that he, he would re- tune in, this would probably be a little bit more similar to what um, we think of as a normal uh, medium. And he would then he would tune into. Um, it seemed again he didn't really describe it, but it would seem that he would tune into the the mental uh, emanation from the from the being. They, they would they would give him a, mm-hmm. a pip he would call it, um, like a little uh, little mental alert that they wanted to communicate uh, if it was coming mm-hmm. from them. Uh, and then he would uh, prepare himself, uh, and then they would uh, send the information through, and he would then normally would record it on a, a one or sometimes two tape recorders. Um, and then he would play it back to make sure it was correct. Uh, and then occasionally he would he would not record it um, if it was just uh, not so important. And then he would get up and uh, and play and, and re- report from his own uh, memory what was said. So these were mm-hmm. these are the two or three main main ways he would do the mental transmissions. Right, and, and I remember um, this would be in 1986 uh, being with him when he. Uh, was writing it down. This would be actually in Arizona in a hotel. Um, mm-hmm. And he took, actually, this was the occasion when he took the a message just prior, five hours, I think it is, or five and a half hours before the Chernobyl accident. And as you oh, rightly right. say, these, yeah. mesi- these weren't message teachings. They were action-based transmissions designed to send out spiritual energy to, rele- to alleviate the crisis that was due, which indeed it did do as has been confirmed by Pravdo. That's a whole other story. But on that occasion, I was privileged to be in the room in this hotel, and he really had just a large sheet of 
we used to call foolscap paper and a black felt-tip pen and he was writing it down um, as he as he received it. Yeah, that's what he would do. Uh, I mean, after that, he would almost always record them. But um, there, there was mm-hmm. a phase um, before 87 where he would, we call it in America, 8 by uh, 14 um, uh, paper. Uh, and it was very okay. large, and he would write on them. And uh, mm. Yeah, and I think I would like to kind of just reiterate um, for uh, our listeners that Again, this was um, these transmissions, especially the mental transmissions, were to do things, and 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 he he was uh, an agent um, for them on Earth, and this was a, a channel of communication that was necessary to accomplish very very important tasks for the world, uh, whether it be a send out energy or. Um, uh, manipulate um, uh, forces to bring about peace or, or aftermath of a hurricane or an earthquake or to um, uh, set up equipment to give energy back to the Mother Earth or so many things like this, which were just, just so important for yes. the world. Uh, and that, that was why these transmissions happened um, in those days. And just on rare occasions, they wouldn't be written down or noted down at all. I mean, if, if That's right. I remember what, one yeah. occasion, just to give an example, was during the procedure of a particular mission to do with sending energy to the Earth. And uh, it was actually in Los Angeles, and uh, it was concerning a master that we've referred to uh, in On Theorist Radio Live from Gotha at Epnixi 0011. And during, I remember it, because during the course of this interchange, which wasn't exactly a detailed communication so much as, you know, I, I want to do X, Y, and Z, and some response was received, and then he did X, Y, and Z. And I happened to be there, and I remember him, it was quite unusual, sort of introducing me, saying, Richard Lawrence is here. And as soon as he did, I received this massive, massive sort of uh, spiritual bombardment of energy, as though I was being greeted. Mm. Uh, it was absolutely real and undeniable. But the point there is that he, it wasn't, it was... If, I don't know if this is the right word, but more informal or more procedural. It wasn't sort of a written-down transmission, but he was in contact with a, an extraterrestrial being. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I, I had the opportunity to drive uh, him around, and um, mm. quite often he would have uh, communication uh, just in the car, um, just but tended to be um, silent. Uh, or one time I... Uh, I was driving him somewhere, and um, I was starting started a conversation with him, and he he, he motioned me to be keep quiet. <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I realized he told me afterwards he was communicating with uh, uh, with with uh, Sector S two at the time. And so mm-hmm. it would, <laughs> well, it would happen. It would it would definitely happen for sure. And, it would, and it even in earlier frequent. days, yes, indeed. And even in earlier days, I do remember when I first sort of was. In Verticommas, sitting at his feet, I was a school teacher. I used to rush back uh, to Athera's house where he was having lunch on his visits, and I could sit with him a little bit after lunch until I had to rush back to take my next class. And, you know, he'd be chatting away on the face of it, but at the same time, he seemed to me at the time to be communicating occasionally, this wasn't all the time by any means, with another sort. He'd be making, sort of raising his finger and making an indication to somebody mm. or who knows who um you kn- he was an enigma i would say uh, brian and and you know well, even he, those of us who are uh, privileged to know him best you know <laughs> left a lot of mysteries he well he he had um he had abilities that uh we really couldn't understand almost I, one one mm. of the most striking mm. things happened with me was i was in the room with him when he was organized or supervising, I guess you could almost say, a, um, uh, a complicated release um, for uh, a situation on Earth where he had uh, mm-hmm. uh, the adepts um, with energy and uh, the Gotham masters with energy and elements of the Great White Brotherhood with energy and moving around. And um, he, would, he was in communication with all of them. And it, it, there'd be one microphone set up in in his uh, in his living room, and I'd be kind of hovering around, either giving him tea or phoning up England, um, or talking to the SCR room in uh, in Los Angeles um, to make releases. And mm-hmm. you just wouldn't know if he was talking to you, 
at first or or or, or mm-hmm. one of the adepts and it was um mm-hmm. he was in he was in mm-hmm. that much control of uh his mind to to pick up all these different entities uh, traveling around mm-hmm. uh, it was it was um mm-hmm. just unbelievable Absolutely, absolutely. And of course, the SDR room that you, you mentioned there, of course, is the spiritual energy radiator room from which we, we send out energy directly in cooperation with beings from other planets. Well, I think we're halfway through, Nikki, so um, far be it from me to uh, go beyond your your mid-show cue. Oh, well, thank you very much, Richard, and I do have the correct title. So you are listening to this fascinating show, Primary Terrestrial Mental Channel Lightning Conductor for the Gods, on Aetherius Radio Live with host Richard Lawrence and his guest, Brian Kniep. Available from www.aetherius.org is a wide range of lectures and publications by Dr. George King. Learn more about the unique mediumship of the Lightning Conductor the gods. Every Saturday and Sunday, you can practice the 12 blessings delivered by the Master Jesus through Dr. George King by joining in with the live online services by visiting www.12blessings.org, that is 12 in digits. Richard, as mentioned, has had many articles published in the May edition of two leading journals, Spirit and Destiny, and Psychic News. Please visit his website for further information on these and other media releases, www.richardlawrence.co.uk. On Saturday, May 21st, you are warmly invited to enjoy others in a pilgrimage to Mount Baldy in Southern California, one of the holy mountains charged during Operation Starlight, where the beautiful 12 blessings will be practiced and you can send out much-needed spiritual energy to our world. Again, for more details, please visit www.ethereus.org. At the Michigan branch on Friday, June 3rd, Paul Nugent, who is visiting from the American headquarters, will be giving a lecture, We Are Not Alone, which begins at 7.30pm Eastern Time. And again, for more details, please visit the website. On Sunday, June 5th, at the Aetherius Temple in London at 2.30pm, Richard will be holding a very special event. It's called Rise, Meditation and the Music Experience. And he will be doing this together with highly acclaimed musician, Kevin Kendall. Discover a world of peace, inspiration, and spiritual energy to revitalize every aspect of your life. And on this occasion, Richard and Kevin will be performing their new collaboration, Rise Peace Meditations with Music, live for the very first time. So for more details of what promises to be a truly inspirational experience, again, please visit www.ethereus.org where you can obtain the Rise album as a CD or a download. So without further ado, I now return you to your host, Richard Lawrence, and his guest, Brian Kniep. Nikki, thank you very much indeed. And Brian, did we miss any announcements that you wish to make at all? Or have we covered the main... Oh, no, that, that's the main one. Uh, the, the pilgrimage Good. to Mount Baldy would, would be quite a... That'll be a first one mm. for us this year, and so we're hoping for uh, wow. to send out some energy, and this will be during the orbit of the third satellite, so it's uh, it's going to be a real mm. potent one. And, of course, that that is the first mountain that was charged by Mars Sector 6 in Operation Starlight, is it not? That's a good point. That's quite so, Brings yes. a cosmic appreciation, so, yeah, wonderful. Well, uh, I was thinking, uh, Brian, that it might be quite good to go back to the command where we started, and you reminded me of this very moving lecture that Dr. King gave in Kansas in 1959, in Kansas City. Actually, Kansas City, Kansas City, Missouri, believe it or not. Oh, okay, so Kansas City is not in Kansas then. Well, the strange quirks of America, yes. We've got plenty of quirks of our own over here, No, 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 don't worry. But um, I was going to um, just read a couple of key 
paragraphs because I think they're very moving and, and quite revealing, actually. Um, so this this is from that lecture, and this is referring to what happened after the command. And Dr. King said this, Shortly after the initial contact, I was given two very definite experiences. One was to reduce my possessions to nothing. Despite the fact that I lived in a dilapidated place, I did in those days have quite a well-paid position. I could afford to run a couple of cars, and also I was fool enough to race a motorcycle. As anybody who's fool enough to race a motorcycle on the continent has got more money than sense, and I belonged to this category. So again, quite unemotionally and coldly, I began to reduce my possessions to nothing until I had one suit, a pair of shoes, and that's about the lot. This was an essential experience. I recognized it as such and abided by it absolutely. Very interesting, that, isn't it? But I'll pause there because that's what a thing for someone to do is that he knew he had to do it. He doesn't say how he knew but he knew he had to do it, and, and he set about doing it. I know. It, it's, it, it shows the, uh, uh, the, the type of determination uh, that Dr. King had, and that's one thing mm. that uh, everyone, I think, uh, would agree who, who met Dr. King was his tremendous intensity and dedication. And um, yeah. he, he knew what had to be done, and whatever it took to do it, he would do it, and that was just there was just no question about it. And he lived it, and he was he very non-attached. I found always to material possessions. Anyway, you know, if they had a function that could be used in a mission, then that was one thing. But in terms of uh, you know the normal things that people seek, it just didn't really interest him. No, I mean, I, just to give you a small a small thing. Is uh, I was with him. Um, for many years uh, up in Santa Barbara and mm. uh, he had one one chair that he always sat in um mm-hmm. you know, either to uh to relax and uh, do different things uh, in this chair and he would sit on it for you know, probably some hours um each day and mm-hmm. you know in those days he had uh, enough um people that uh, uh liked to um you know donate things and help him out in a material mm-hmm. sense um, mm. And so he could his, have easily purchased mm. a chair, because this particular mm-hmm. chair was was a, was a vinyl easily. chair. Easily, it, it wasn't. It, you know, it wasn't falling apart or anything. But it wasn't. It wasn't a particularly um, comfortable chair. He had he had pads um, made <laughs> for the chair, um, and he could easily yes. have gone out and bought any chair he wanted. People would have gladly yes. bought him a chair, but he just, just he was not interested in it. It, no, was it was the same with work. clothes. I uh, mean, yes, he exactly. had this old. Do you remember the leather corduroy? Uh, sorry, the the yellow corduroy, corduroy yeah. jacket. That's right. yeah. And yeah. he had that ever since I knew him. I think he still had that. <laughs> and over and over again, I remember people. We had one uh, good friend of ours, John, for example, who was a snappy. Is a snappy dresser, you know, who was quite willing to go with him and buy him. him and he could easily have afforded it himself by then. Sure. Uh, but no, he loved his old yellow corduroy jacket. He wasn't yeah. just wasn't. In, I did go clothes shopping with him from time to time, and it wasn't very interesting to him. Go in, let's get this done. You know, we've got to get this, and he'll get it. But he he was he was very unattached to to material well, things indeed. On the on yeah. the clothes thing, it, it was quite it, quite functional too. He uh, he he. By the time that I uh, was was uh, uh, helping him on these things, uh, he had. Had a particular uh, like, I suppose, of an arrow, a type of an arrow shirt. It's a, it's a, very, it's a plain oh, yes. um, shirt with with, uh, with short sleeves, and it came in a variety mm-hmm. of like fairly pale color, like a blue and a and a pink and a white and a green, that kind of a thing. And he would mm-hmm. he he probably had about fifteen or twenty of them, and he would just rotate through them. <laughs> you know, he, mm. it, it connected life very easy. He just just I'll have that one today, and it was you know. Uh, the same shoes. I, I do remember when well, um, that several, particular right, seven or eight pairs, but all the same shoes. Of the same okay. shoe, the ones he bought yeah, in England. Yeah. I think they were called Hush Puppies. Hush Puppies. Yeah, and I, yeah. I do remember when the the firm that made them changed the design, and I. 
<laughs> I, because he was probably the most regular buyer of this same shoe, but mainly because he couldn't be bothered and wasn't interested. He found something that was fine, and that was it. He wasn't on the lookout yeah. for anything else. Yeah. Um, right. You know, I had to sort of complain to the managing director that they'd altered the toe design. <laughs> but we, we digress. But I, th- I think it is important. I mean, on, on, on a more serious level, I mean, the, the apartment in London, which he lived in, was incredibly modest, and it was actually mm. suggested to him um, that he could have bought in those days, in, in the 80s, before Fulham, where we are, became very expensive as it is now. He could e- we could easily, and he could have afforded, with help, we could have bought a house nearby so he'd have had a more comfortable mm. place to live in, and he just was not interested at all. Mm-mm. And likewise, when you were with him in Santa Barbara, it was a small what three bedroom bungalow in which mm-hmm. there was at least four of you at any given time sometimes more including him anyway so that was the first uh, sorry did, were you going to say something else no no, no you're going to read the, the other, no, okay. uh, other point yeah. that, was the, that was the first experience that he had and then he goes on another experience was this I had to start for some reason best known to the great ones at the bottom I was informed that the trance condition must be done in front of the people of London. When the whole of my group, just on the verge of this first transmission going before the public, walked out and left me absolutely and completely alone, it was like adding insult to injury. But you see, this was another essential experience. I will never forget my feelings that night when I walked into Caxton Hall, London, a lone little figure, I looked at the audience, went up onto the platform and thought to myself, how in the name of the Lords can I get this very, very difficult trance condition under these conditions? You see, one flashbulb at the wrong time would have killed me. One noise at the wrong time might have given me internal hemorrhage. This I knew and appreciated very definitely. There I was, completely alone, or apparently so. However, Ethereus, a Venusian communicator, was able to speak to London for the first time that night. And, and I think the date of that, Brian, must have been January the 29th, 1955, as best we can determine it. I think you're right, yes. It's a tragic know, it, it, account, it, is well, it not, it, really? It, it really? It really affects um, one's heart when you, when, you, when you hear that. Here's this, this, this man who... Who who is giving his all to um, to our world and um, putting his life on the, on, on the line in this particular instance? Um, and mm-hmm. even those who were close to him at the time uh, walked out on him. And uh, what mm-hmm. a, a very and that comes back to his determination and his um, uh, absolute um, you know one one. Pointedness to to do what has to be done. There was no question. I mean, if, if that's what Master Theorius told him to do, he was going to do it, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, he, and absolutely, he yes. And because he he had started receiving cosmic transmissions, and I think the first one I'm writing to is May the 29th, and they were generally at that point questions and answer sessions in his mm-hmm. small, wasn't even an apartment really, it was a bedsit in Maida Vale in London, in West London, northwest London, and he would receive those with a tiny group. It grew a bit, and there were even occasions later in the year when he might get 17 or 18 people coming in, but come January 1955, he was complete, they all left him. They weren't, I mean, okay, we know today you can get ridiculed, how ridiculed would you have been in very conservative England in 1955? Doesn't it's bear thinking about. Mm. But he did it, and they all left him, and he still did it. And I always had that feeling with him. I don't know about you, Brian, I'm sure perhaps you did, that I, I sensed it when we had various crises, as any organization does, or testing periods, that he would have done it alone if need be, but he was going to mm-hmm. carry on. That came over absolutely clearly to me no there's no question about it uh it, it you know he saw the world as as um, a, a, as one and it a world filled with billions of people that were that are in desperate need of, of help 
And, you know, the personal circumstances um, of, of, a, of a chair or, or, a, or a feeling or an emotion or a, or a difficulty is irrelevant compared to mm-hmm. uh, the importance of the mission of, of helping uh, these billions of people um, in this com- coming transition period that we are, uh, we are entering into on Earth. And he, you could yeah. feel that with him, um, just every day and everything that he did. Um, it was just, just uh, the absolute determination that he was going to do the very best he could possibly do while he was here. Mm. Indeed, and you know, if that was dangerous enough, can can one imagine how dangerous it was to actually take a transmission on television, which he did in 1959. Oh. Right. Uh, On the BBC. In fact, I think, although we didn't put it up, I think it has been put up on YouTube. I think people can 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 look for uh, BBC Lifeline, George King, something like that. Would probably find it. I think BBC posted it uh, uh, some years ago, and they posted it. It's it's available. Yeah. Mm Mhm. And people will just see how. Sorry, please go on. This brings up just a question that um, that uh, I think people might have. when they come to the Ethereum Society, and uh, I, I've been asked this, and I think you have been mm-hmm. as well. And the question is, um, well, now that that uh, Dr. King ha- has passed on and moved to other uh, other places, um, who's now going to be receiving these important inf- yes. inf- transmissions uh, yeah. now into the future? And mm-hmm. um, uh, I'd like you to kind of. Give us a, an answer on that. One. Yeah, I've I've had that even more aggressively. I've had people say, "Well, why on earth don't you start getting the messages?" And I've had to say, "Well, because I'm not able to." And I think it's you know it's the old thing. You've got to know what you don't know, and mm. a lot of people don't, and they think mediumship is just sort of free choice. You can just say, "Well, I think I'll channel Count Saint Germain today and Mother Mary tomorrow," and mm. and they're encouraged to believe that. And mm. and from what you hear, we hear from Dr. King when he in his early lectures, the same applied then too. People really thought they could do these things, and they were told they could do these things. You could take a a weekend seminar, uh, probably still can, and then, and by the end of it, you're supposed to be able to channel ascended masters. You've written a wonderful book about the ascended masters, and that's definitely not true. And it's a shame because, the, and I, I've come across this quite recently. Actually, somebody came to me for help last week. Um, that you can develop mental health issues. I'm going to go that far, mental health issues, if you're not Mm. careful with this. You know, you may not have them per se when you start, but if you start believing you're you're doing something you're not doing, uh, then, of course, that can be quite dangerous for you. So the truth of the matter is, I suppose it's simply put, and Dr. King put it quite brilliantly, actually, that a medium has to be able to raise their consciousness to a level that the communicator can use. So I think he said, basically, a medium will generally channel somebody much like themselves. Mm. Now, we now know, although he certainly didn't reveal it, that Dr. King himself was from another world, but he didn't say that. Uh, That's something we can now say, now that he's not with us. Um, he was their agent, but also he used this very advanced trance that uh, we've talked about, somatic trance. So just by doing that, he was raising his consciousness to a level that at least could bring about a rapport with, shall we say, the Master Jesus or another cosmic master, the Lord Babaji, or another master. They could use that. The average person can't. I can't, um, and so I can't be used in that way. And, you know, people need to know that, but they don't. And it, it, it's, a, it's a very dangerous thing when people go around being told and believing, maybe a nice thing, but it's not a true thing, that they can channel the Pleiades or whoever it might be. I mean, he went through 10 years of intensive yogic training. I think you can probably give us an example of some of the yogic feats he performed, Brian, where he had to concentrate on four things at once. That's right. Yeah, well, I can read that now if you like. Uh, yes, please. Yes. Let me get my, my reading glasses on here. <laughs> Another little exercise I used to practice in the early days 
was to drive a car around Piccadilly Circus, which is the hub of England, do mantra, put a mantra in seven psychic centers at the same time, hold my breath at one and the same time as driving a car. Now, mm. I don't know about you, Richard, but I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that, and in fact, we would recommend people not to try doing that, because you might have an accident. In fact, don't do mantra when you're driving, no, it would be our general no. recommendation. But yes. Dr. King was able to do that, and I think, and as you, did you mention, hold a conversation at the same time some, on some occasions as well? well. That, that's the, uh, that was the next, next, uh, the next one, oh. uh, where he goes, um, where is that one? Sometimes I could hold a conversation with somebody in the car, drive the car through the thickest of London traffic and repeat a mantra mm-hmm. on every psychic center again at one and the same time. Gosh. Yeah. So he had those feats and he worked for them. I mean, he said that he worked oh, yeah. after he had the command. Uh, he found a teacher in London named being Sri Nandi. Or rather, he was directed to that teacher. That teacher really found him. Uh, but he was practicing for nine or ten hours a day at certain exercises. Mm-hmm. And he was practicing yoga for ten years some t- off, uh, at an average. He said the average was about eight hours a day. So it wasn't just something that even a person of his level that just fell into his lap. He worked extremely hard at it. And mediumship, I mean, even basic mediumship, I think, is very difficult to do. Never mind... So the sort of thing that he's doing, which, as I say, is above normal mediumship, uh, 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 which is extremely demanding. So the average person thinking they could channel a being like that is definitely deluding themselves, and that's a very sad thing to see, and others around them who might believe them, too. Well, uh, this brings up a, a point that I, I wanted to make, and, and that is that you you get these questions from people because I think they feel that, we need to be have our, uh, have our hands held um, through this transition, and mm-hmm. in one way, of course, we do. They, they, the cosmic masters are helping us all the time. But another key aspect is we have to do the main part of the work ourselves. And so mm-hmm. the the mission, the transmissions that have come through, um, it's not about just trying to get more and more and more new ones. It's go to these wonderful transmissions from these tremendous cosmic sources and study them. Work Absolutely. with them. Um, yes. Make, do, do the in, inner work yourself. We all have yes. to evolve ourselves, and these transmissions will help us do that. And th- th- it's yes. not about just going to try and find the new person giving a transmission today. It's, it's no. go to the best transmissions you can find and make them live within you and get the, the, the kernels of truth within these transmissions so that you become more and more able to do service that is required on Earth today. That's the key. Don't keep looking for new things all the time. So true. And you'll get the answers from within yourself, which is the most important voice that any of us can hear, which is our own inner voice. Uh, and I, I don't think most people should be even thinking about being mediums. I know that might sound a bit odd since I do it but uh, uh, at the level that I do, but I, I don't think it is necessary for most people at all. I think there are far more important things that people can do, and you'll get your, your signs in different ways. I mean, I'll give you an example. You don't need at all to see a UFO to believe in extraterrestrials, but only a couple of weeks ago, I don't think I've even told you, Brian, but uh, Alison, my wife, and I were out walking one night uh, in the area where we live, and we saw a, an object crossing the sky, and it was very high up, and we're quite sceptical, believe it or not, about UFOs, and said, well, that could be an Earth satellite and so on. It was a white light. And then it curved round in the sky, did a loop, came back, grew in size, became bright red, grew larger, and not flashing like an aeroplane, bright red, and came towards us, and then it curved away again, and it turned into a smaller green object, and then it dashed away as a white light. Now, that, that's, you know, that is 
we're very lucky to have had that sighting. You don't need to have things like that. You could have more important things happen to you, such as feeling the great power from the, the mountain Mount Baldy flowing through you, and you'll, you'll know and you'll experience it. Uh, and, but we don't all need to be the beauty. Is We don't need anyone to replace Dr. King. No one is going to replace him because he left not only the teachings, but a program of action cooperating with the gods from space that we can all perform. That's true. Well, he, he left um, a, a program of activity uh, to um, to help our world, uh, a, a body of teachings uh, that we can learn about our past, our present, and our future, and a, a, an unparalleled um, group of practices where we can raise um, yes. uh, our consciousness and our ability to send out love and light uh, ourselves. And, and that's, that's what we need. That's what we need. Well put. Um, and, you know, before we finish, because time is running out, as it always seems to do on a theorist radio live, the hour of truth, um, I'd just like to mention one other thing, Brian, that uh, a point that the Master made to me and possibly to yourself in the late 1980s is that he became aware that some of the, the communicators who came through him after the command from, 19, and from 1955, 56 and, and later turned out to be some of the greatest masters in the solar system. And I'm, I'm to mention a few. One, of course, is the Master Etherius, the Master mm -hmm. Jesus we know. Mars Sector 6, who's, um, well, uh, that was a world record, uh, the very first transmission he delivered through, through the Master, mm -hmm. which would be in 1955, I think around about October of 55. Another interesting one, which uh, we have mentioned before, Jupiter Sector 9-2, um, who turned out, much later we found, to be, and he was just described like this, Controller Interplanetary Confederation. So whatever that means. And then he had, um, on rare occasions, messages from Lords of Saturn, one of which was described as being on the Supreme Tribunal. Uh, again, which could mean and uh, that he was even possibly an aspect of a perfect. I don't know that. I, I, I have no mm. idea exactly what that means, but uh, you'd have to be very, very prominent to be on the Supreme Tribunal and on Saturn. And mm. then, of course, there was St. Peter, Mars Sector 8, General Information, who, who directed, who directs, or which directs, all the um, visiting uh, beings from other planets who come into this solar system and, and monitors them and in fact, there's one fascinating example when um, a, a visiting crew came in mainly to learn uh, and they were going to Mercury and Dr. King in the very early days picked up their entry. And I remember the phrase that Mars Sector used to describe how he was picking that up. He said, automatic translation is taking place through beam variator. Mm -hmm. which indicates there was a whole methodology being used, not just by Dr. King, but by those who were communicating through him, which just wouldn't be applicable to any other medium we've ever heard of. Exactly. Exactly, and I think that really sums up um, why the best thing in these days is to go back to the teaching um, of Dr. Mm -hmm. King, because they're just the, the greatest, because of the time we live in. Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more and uh, I do want to thank you very much uh, Brian for, for joining me today it's been a pleasure to have you back on Ethereus Radio Live again we always seem to run out of time because we've got so much to say um, but your insights and your experience are much appreciated I'm sure by myself and our listeners so thank you very well, thank much thank you for having me I appreciate being on it's, uh, it's quite a pleasure to, uh, uh, to talk with you about these very important subjects and that would be quite in the American sense, would it not? Yes, thank you. <laughs> we have a standing much. joke, listeners, uh, <laughs> at the use of the word quite, which I think in English is very. It's right, correct, very. Yes. Whereas here it's like fairly, but there you go. But <laughs> thank you very much again, Brian, and thank you all for listening. Um, our next program will be actually Chrissy Blaze again. Uh, with Alison Lawrence, my wife, they will be doing the next one, which I think is June the 21st, and it will be on Mars, the Red Planet. Fascinating. Fascinating. So I'll now hand you over to our producer, Nikki.
Thank you very much, Richard and Brian, for fascinating revelations in tonight's show. You have been listening to Ethereus Radio Live, which is your cosmic connection, the third Tuesday of each month. And as already mentioned by Richard, the next show will be on Tuesday, June 21st, with the intriguing title, Mars, the Red Planet. For more information on the events mentioned earlier, please connect with the Ethereus Society by visiting www.ethereus.org and www.12blessings.org. You can connect with Richard Lawrence by visiting his website with www.richardlawrence.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy the rest of the month.